So we're taking a pause from the book of Romans and uh, looking at the Easter theme, obviously it being the season. And I want to talk about three questions of Easter, three questions that I think are really important uh, but often missed. And today is the day that we call uh, Palm Sunday. And I want to answer a question that people don't often think about. And it is this, why did Jesus weep on Palm Sunday? Now, if you've grown up in church at all, you have a version of Palm Sunday that likely does not include the tears of Jesus. Uh, maybe it includes children waving palm branches in the air. And, uh, you know, it brings back a memory, I think, Boy, I think Don Mann did this. I think one Easter Sunday at, at, at Evangel, he actually did, he may have actually had a colt walking in the, you know, a donkey walking in the sanctuary with, with uh, you know, someone playing Jesus on it. I think he actually did that and uh, did some very bold things uh, in his 13 and a half years there. Anyway, there was all kinds of celebrations like that, and many churches do that, and, you know, the palm branches and, and this kind of thing. Uh, but I want to give you a version of Palm Sunday that it's going to be a bit of a surprise to you. And you'll probably look at those palm branches a little bit differently after the message today. Uh, the biggest tip I can give you for what we call the Palm Sunday story, and really the biggest tip that I can give you if you're new to the Bible and you're reading the Bible, especially the stories of Jesus, all right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John, you're reading those four books in the Bible's New Testament. Here's a, here's a really important tip for you, all right? Um, you don't have to be a scholar to do this. You just have to know how to read, or if you don't, even if you don't like reading, nowadays you can listen to the Bible on your phone, on your electronic devices. You get it for free. Here's a tip for you. Whenever you read anything in the Gospels, we give them that title, the Gospels. It means good news. Whenever you read anything, try and find it in all four. Don't just read it in the one, you know, you're reading Matthew and you're reading the story of Palm Sunday, for example. Don't just read it in Matthew. If you can find it in Mark, read it in Mark. If you can find it in Luke, read it in Luke. And if you can find it in John, read it in John. The, the, the reason why I say this is because we're 2,000 years removed from the events and we're on the other side of the world, folks. Like our culture is different, um, our location is different, Everything is different in many ways. And we don't have the advantage that the original hearers of this material and readers of this material had because they were there. And so, you know, you don't have to break down context for those people. They were there. But for us, this is not our context. So they would read Matthew and they just have Matthew, you know, if they were lucky enough to read or even have a parchment or a scroll of Matthew or someone told them the story of what Matthew wrote, then that's all they had. 
Well, we have more than that. We've got all four, folks. So we got it all nice and pretty now with, you know, chapters and verses and headings and all this stuff. Read all four because that will give you a picture of what actually happened. Remember, these authors are trying to explain to us that this really happened. They're, they're staking their claim on this. They're not trying to say that this is some nice little fuzzy tale to make you feel good and teach you a moral lesson. They're trying to tell you that this really happened on Palm Sunday, you know, and this really happened on what we call Good Friday, and this really happened on what we call Easter Sunday. They're trying to pass this off as actual truth and actual reality. So give them the benefit of the doubt and read all four because then you're going to get a picture of what in the world was going on there. And this is the problem with Palm Sunday is that people have a very, very small little version of Palm Sunday and it's kind of, well, there's joy, there's celebration, there's excitement and the king is here and people are waving palm branches hurrah hurrah a bit like a football game you know and people get all pumped up and say yeah palm sunday and this is a very small sort of sanitary version of palm sunday it's a bit like christmas we have this version of christmas is very clean and nice and fits on a nice little card with beautiful colors but you read the gospels about christmas and christmas is like wow it's a brutal story there's a lot of rough stuff a lot of hard reality in christmas and in the palm sunday narrative you've got to do exactly the same thing good friday you've got to do exactly the same thing easter sunday do the same thing you say well how do i know if it's in matthew and mark and luke and john all right here's another tip for you probably going to require you actually buy a bible that has its paper and not electronic okay not a lot of electronic bibles do this yet but the paper ones do and what you want to do is you want to buy a bible that has some notes in it it's got footnotes in it and it's got little cross references there really easy to know if you have a bible like this just open it in the store and if you go to the store, don't, you know, or if you're on Amazon, see if you can see a picture of it on Amazon, all right? And you want to look at the picture of the page of the Bible and see if it's got notes in there. Because those notes are going to tell you, hey, ding, 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 this story is in Mark, and this story is in Luke, and this story is in John. So here, you want to go and look over here. It's going to have all these cool footnotes that will help you explain things, help you to understand things, because you have to jettison yourself back in time these are eyewitness accounts they're purported to be that way whoever wrote them they're trying to pass this off as real so you've got to look at it that way say all right so Matthew's saying one thing and Mark is saying something else a little bit different you should expect that you should expect some play there you should expect some elbow room you should expect some discrepancies right you don't want them all to be saying exactly the same thing exactly the same way they should be all over the place and that should give you a rounded picture of what was going on enter the Palm Sunday narrative what I'm going to do for you is read it super super quick but I'm going to read it from all versions at the same time Matthew Mark Luke and John the whole thing squashed together in one of my favorite books it's called the life of Christ in stereo and the author took all four and he squashed them together. So you read the whole thing. It came to pass the next day when they drew near to Jerusalem and came from Bethphage at the mountain called Olivet. 
And Jesus sent two of his disciples and saying to them, go into the village that is opposite you. And immediately on entering it, you will find a, the word there, I call it the King James donkey word. It's a profanity in this version. So I'll just say donkey. You will find a donkey tied and a colt tied with her on which no one has yet ever sat untie them and bring them to me. So says Jesus. And if anyone says anything to you, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? You will say to them, because the Lord needs it. The Lord has need of them and he will send them here at once. So Jesus wants these two animals, a donkey and a colt. So those were sent away, were, uh, were sent went on their way and did just as Jesus said. And they found the, the animals and they tied them outside the door in the street and they untied them and so on. And the owners of it, they said, well, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, the Lord has need of it. And so they let them go. And so they brought the, the donkey and the colt to Jesus and throwing their garments on them, they sat Jesus upon the colt. Now, as he proceeded, they began to spread their garments on the road. Watch closely. And as he was already drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, note the location, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who is coming in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And a great throng who had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they cut branches from the palm trees, palm is only noted in John's gospel, and went out to meet him. Very important, those palm leaves, and strewed them on the road. And the crowds who went before him and those who followed kept crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who is coming in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David Hosanna in the highest now all this was done that there might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet this is Zechariah from Zechariah 9 tell the daughter of Zion fear not behold your king is coming to you meek and mounted upon a donkey even a colt the foal of a donkey I'm careful not to use the King James Version it has a profanity in it the you're listening. Okay, look it up in the King James Version. These things his disciples understood not at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him and, and uh, that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, also the people... Uh, went and met him because of hearing what he had wrought through this miraculous sign. This is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the reference to it. And some of the Pharisees from the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should be silent, the stones will cry out. And when he drew near and beheld the city, he wept over it. 
Jesus is crying on Palm Sunday. He wept over it, saying, If only you, yes, you had known at least in this your day the things that would bring you peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a rampart about you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And will level you to the ground with your children within you, leaving in you not one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. And upon entering Jerusalem, the entire city was saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All four of them squashed together. 30 years later, 30 years later, you have an incident in history that is extremely significant. If you are going to understand why Jesus was weeping and the whole context of Palm Sunday, you need to understand what was going on in the general time and what would happen 30 years after Jesus said this, if you've ever heard of the zealots, and Jesus has a zealot on his team, the zealots are critical in the whole Palm Sunday story. They had a philosophy. There was one God. Israel was to serve him alone. The, the Torah and the other writings of the Bible were the only God, a, a guide to righteous living and serving the emperor of Rome in any way, whether in worship or slavery or paying taxes, was apostasy against God. The zealots were a movement that opposed Rome, opposed those who allied themselves with Rome and would use violence if necessary to show that opposition. And they felt that it was their God-ordained responsibility to do that. And the zealots were looking forward to a Messiah who would come and who would dominate and who would overthrow Rome and, and would, would bring in a, the kingdom of God by force and overtake this Roman uh, taxation and oppression and domination and so on. And these zealots were not to be trifled with. They were incredibly brave. They had a high tolerance for suffering and pain. And again, they would use violence if necessary. These people were around and the, the culture was hot for rebellion at that time. And every Passover, the Romans would station more soldiers in the capital city of Jerusalem with these millions of Jewish people coming there to celebrate Passover as they were commanded to do because they were ready for a potential opposition a potential rebellion. There would be messiahs who would come and go, people who would proclaim themselves as messiah and not be the messiah. The culture was hot and rebellion was always being uh, watched out for. And this would come to pass 30 years later. It's regarded as the most devastating apocalyptic event in the history of that time, the so-called Jewish wars. And this would happen. It would happen in brutality. It would happen in uh, 
a, a fashion that is all over the history books. Uh, you had Christians and Jews thrown into the 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 uh, the Colosseums by Emperor Nero in 64, and he would have them killed. There was violence as a result in the province of Judea. In Caesarea, there was a conflict between Jews and Gentiles because the Gentiles did something outside of one of their synagogues to uh, desecrate it. This created, uh, again, this hot, hot, hot climate of anger. In AD 66, on a Sabbath day, a Gentile offered a pagan sacrifice next to the entrance of the synagogue. There's an outcry by the citizens of Caesarea. The authorities in Jerusalem decided to end all of the foreign sacrifices, including the one to Caesar himself. Uh, Nero is on the left side of your screen. Florus, the governor, is on the right side of your screen. And Florus, who lived in Caesarea, comes to Jerusalem with troops. He enters the temple area, the treasury. He takes the gold out of the temple. This would enrage the Jewish people. People gathered to protest. Florus unleashed uh, his legionnaires against an innocent crowd. He kills 3,500 people, women and children included and this starts an outrage there are mobs in the streets they're driving the roman soldiers out of the city the people storm what's called the antonia which is like a roman fortress they burn the archives they destroy the records of debt the revolt spreads the zealots are leading it they surprise the Roman garrison. They occupy the fortress of what's called Masada, which is on your screen. This is way above sea level, above the Dead Sea. It was a Roman fortress, very strong fortress, and they occupied it. They took it over from this fortress. They had huge supplies of weapons that were distributed to the Jewish soldiers. And uh, though there were voices that were trying to urge calm, the Pharisees in particular were we're trying to urge calm. It didn't matter. There was violence, 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 and rebellion. This would ultimately culminate in uh, the emperor Titus going into the city of Jerusalem and destroying it, going into the temple and destroying the temple, setting fire to the city, exactly as Jesus had spoken 30 years before it happened in these so-called Jewish wars. You can read all about it, very detailed accounts, in particular by the historian Joseph. Cephas, who ended up being reluctantly surrendered to the Romans and became something of a scribe to them. A hundred years after what Jesus had said, there was another revolt. There was a succession of emperors after the first set of Jewish wars, and there was another revolt under a man who people thought was the Messiah, Simon Bar Kokhba was his name. And there was a rebellion again against the Romans. It lasted for about three years. We have in our hands now, I think there's only four of them, actual minted coins from this revolt of the time of Simon Bar Kokhba. And this is one of them on your screen there. That's a 2,000-year-old coin. On the one side, it says Jerusalem. And note that what's called a date palm tree. It's a palm tree that gave dates on that one side. Note that palm leaf there. And on the other side of the coin, it says year two of the freedom of 
of Israel. And there's a cluster of grapes there. Say, why are you telling me all of this history? Because when you look into Palm Sunday, it gives you context. You're looking at a time when it was hot for rebellion. It was hot for the people who were calling for a Messiah. Jesus wasn't the first person who was hailed as the Messiah, and he wouldn't be the last person to be hailed as the Messiah. But why, our question today, why was Jesus weeping on this day? When there was so much joy and so much excitement and so much celebration and so much anticipation, why is he weeping? A few observations for you. Number one, it's basic raw reality, folks. In times of great excitement and expectation, there can also be great sadness. It is amazing to me to note the contrast in the uh, emotion of this crowd and the emotion of uh, Jesus. And uh, you can see this in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 to 41. He comes near to the place uh, by, uh, at the Mount of Olives. This is prophetic. You see this in the book of Zechariah. This is why Jesus picked those two animals. You have this prophecy in Zechariah that the Messiah is going to come on this colt in humility, yet he will be a great king. He's supposed to arrive there at the Mount of Olives. So this is all, these are all clues to the crowd that he is proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. And you see this, this great excitement, blessing is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Note, in heaven, not earth. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then the Pharisees turn and they say, you need to shut your disciples up, Jesus. You need to stop them from doing this. They don't like this proclamation of Jesus being this messianic figure, the son of David, and so on. And Jesus says, if they keep quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. And then you see he's weeping. Great excitement, and yet Jesus is weeping. And this is real, folks. Like, Often in life, it's just a basic truth. You can have tremendous excitement and celebration and anticipation, and yet tears, great tears at the same time. We experienced this this past week. Uh, I just, I mean, it literally, folks, it happened so fast. Uh, I spoke to, to uh, uh, Francoise and, and her husband on Sunday last week just after the service, and they told me how uh, Pastor Don Mand, uh, a great friend of ours as a, as a couple, as a family, and so many of you have such a history with Don Mann, and how he things changed very, very drastically for him, probably Thursday or Friday just before last weekend, and they had put him uh, quickly into a palliative care facility and things were not good at all and I couldn't even visit I mean I was told like he was not in visitable condition and just was very very broken uh, uh, by hearing that news folks he was supposed to preach today uh, I had asked him if he would preach today on, on Palm Sunday, just a couple of weeks ago, and he had to decline. He wasn't sure where his health was at the time, so he didn't want to take any speaking engagements. And, and uh, we had had our baptismal service just the, the, the night before, time of celebration, time of excitement, time of joy. And then to hear this news, it was very, very hard uh, to hear. And uh, in the... 
in the middle of the night, folks, I, I kid you not, in the middle of the night, I, I don't know what time it was, I had this, this dream of him singing. It was clear as a bell. And that's rare for me. And I woke up the next morning and I thought, oh, what is this, you know? And found the contact information for the palliative care home and called them and they told me he was gone. And that he passed away uh, very early Monday morning. Folks, it just, you know, you don't realize how close you are to a person sometimes until you lose them. So our hearts are with you uh, and we weep with you and with your family. Uh, please take time to sign the condolence cards as they come. But folks, it's reality. And so, you know, we, we want to honor him. Uh, such a beautiful picture of him and Marie-José there. And uh, away from the body and at home with the Lord. And here you have Jesus who's weeping on this day of great, great celebration. It's reality, folks. I mean, he's not, he's not playing to the crowd. He's not going, yeah, I'm the king. Yeah, high five. He's, he's not doing that. They're, they're trying to make him that, but he's not doing that. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to ride into Jerusalem from the area of the Mount of Olives on this specific animal as per this prediction. He's doing what the Bible says he's supposed to do. And they want him to be one way. Uh, he's not necessarily playing along with what they want, and he ends up weeping. The, the crowd identifies the right Messiah. For sure, they get it right. They think he is the Messiah, and they're right. They start calling him the son of David. This is a messianic title from the Old Testament. They think he's the Messiah, and they're right, but the problem is they've got the wrong mission. They've got him, they want him to do things that he is not there to do. So Matthew 21, verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Luke 19, 38, blessed is the king who comes. Peace in heaven. Note the in heaven, not the on earth. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then John 12, 13, you've got the palm branches and people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Remember the picture of the coin a hundred years later with those palm branches on it. Folks, what these people are looking for is not peace and love and joy. What they are looking for is revolt. This is a nationalistic cry. Hosanna, God save us from these Romans. God save us. The king is here. The Messiah is here. We saw what he did. We saw his power. We've seen Lazarus raised from the dead. We've seen the miraculous. This is it. This is our time. It's Passover. He's coming in on the colt. It's, it's the Mount of Olives. It's Jerusalem. This is our time. Save us from these Romans. And Jesus is not there for that reason at all. They've got the right Messiah, but they've got the wrong reason. 
They want him to be something, and he's not going to be that something for them. This is a, this is a cry for a rebellion and a revolt and a national uprising against the tyranny of Rome. That's what they wanted on Palm Sunday for Jesus to reveal himself as that super Messiah, that king who would bring in his kingdom, in particular if you're a zealot, by force. And Jesus has no interest in this whatsoever. Number three, and this is the really the, at the end of the story why Jesus is weeping here when there is so much excitement and so much celebration. Jesus is not there to trigger a revolt. He's not there to cause a rebellion. He's not there to end up being, you know, the guy on the coin with the palm branches. That's not his reason. His reason is to save people from their sin. That's why he's there. He's not there to overthrow Rome. He's, over, he's there to overthrow the human heart. He wants the heart to be set free from sin. That is his mission. That is his purpose. And they totally, totally do not see this at all. And Jesus sees 30 years into the future when this whole thing would happen if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace. You, you want war to bring you peace. You want revolt to bring you peace. And you don't see it. You don't know. He looks out over the whole capital city and he says, it's hidden from you. You can't see it. You don't know what's coming. The days are coming when your enemies are going to... It's exactly what happens in the Jewish wars. They build an embankment against Jerusalem. They encircle it. They hem it in from every side. That's exactly what happened. They destroyed the whole thing. It was a brutal, brutal time and day. Thousands upon thousands of people dead and gone. Not one stone left on another. You can just see the retaining wall of the temple there if you go and visit Jerusalem today you won't see a temple folks it's completely gone why because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you he's right there in front of them and they don't see what he why he's there they don't understand why he's there. He's explained it over and over and over again. They don't get it. They want this palm branch guy to overthrow the tyranny of Rome. Set us free. Hosanna. 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 That's why they're saying peace in heaven. They don't say peace on earth. They want to revolt, folks. They want the tables turned. And it's ironic. Jesus would step in too. Jerusalem into that temple and what would he do he would overturn the temple the, the tables in the temple but he, he wasn't going after Rome folks he's going after the religious hypocrisy when he's turning over those tables incredible the irony there and Jesus is weeping because the people don't have the faith to see why he's there and what he's about to do and he says because of this because you don't recognize the time of God's coming to you, there's going to be destruction 
It's going to happen to you. You want revolt. You want a nationalistic revival and a Messiah who will overtake the nations. And you don't see that that pursuit is going to lead you to destruction. What you need is your sins forgiven. What you need is your heart changed. That's what you need from the Messiah first and foremost before you talk about him judging the nations, before you talk about him overthrowing evil. He's going to overthrow the evil inside of you and me. This is what he wants, and it breaks Jesus's heart that they do not see this. They don't believe that that's what he's there for. And you see that this ultimately gets him executed, folks. We're going to talk about it on Good Friday. It's a very perplexing question. Forget about the theological reason. You know, you ask, why did Jesus die? Why is he executed facing the death penalty on a Roman cross? Well, because he died for our sins. Folks, forget the theological answer for a second. Why was he put on that cross? What in the world did he do that was so wrong that they indict him and brutally flog him and execute him? What was his crime? You research that, folks. You're going to be stunned by the answer. I'll explain it on Good Friday. We have to recognize, and this would be, I think, a cry in the, you know, in, in, I can hear the preaching of my good friend Don Mann through the, through the ages, folks, through the, uh, like about 30 years, 25, 30 years, and I can hear his voice, and he would preach for faith, folks, for faith, that you have faith to believe that God is standing there right in front of your life in your circumstance. Do you recognize the time of his visitation to you, folks? Do you see that he's right there waiting for you to surrender your life to him. It, 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 it's a funny thing in a way, folks. The man preached about Jesus really all of his adult life, and now he's there with him. And now he's there with him. And with, with his parents. Parents were taken from him, killed in a tragic car crash when he was just a, just a young adult. And now he's with them. The Jesus that he preached about, he is with now because of that faith, folks. And this is what God wants from us today. He doesn't want a nationalistic revival, folks. I hear so much nonsense about Christian nationalism these days. And, you know, rah, 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 we're going to Christianize the world and we're going to make Christian education and Christian uh, uh, entertainment and Christian politics and we're just going to by force almost Christianize the entire world. My goodness folks, this is the exact same thing that they wanted here on Palm Sunday. Christianize your heart folks. Surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sin. This is the mission of Jesus now. When he returns, folks, he will bring judgment upon evil. When he returns, he will right what is wrong. When he returns, he will put the nail in the coffin of the devil, as it were. When he returns, he will do that. He will, he will meet out judgment. But, folks, now you and I have time to surrender to his grace. And this is why Jesus is weeping. And this is why Jesus is waiting. 
to return. Because the full measure of people that he wants to come to himself have not yet responded. And he is calling for a response, folks. He's not calling for you to just think, oh, well, Jesus was a really neat guy and a really great rabbi and really, you know, peace and love and all of this. And yeah, you know, that's not what he's calling you to, folks. He's calling you to surrender your life to him, to recognize his visitation of you is now. What will you do with the opportunity that you have been given today? If you would stand with me, please, and we're going to close the service in prayer. <clears throat> if there's any musicians that are here, you guys can come and play right away, and uh, we'll close the service out that way. But I wonder if there are those of you this Palm Sunday in the year 2023, as we call it, Palm Sunday today, and uh, you're... you're you're a person, you're in the room, or you're online, and you know that your life is not surrendered to God in a full sense. You could come, Nick, if you want to come up and play alone, it's fine. Don't, don't feel bad if, you, uh, if your wife's not here and Simon's gone, it's okay. You can come and play alone. I love your guitar. So it, you know that your life isn't fully surrendered to God. You know that there are areas in your life that... I mean, it's as if Jesus is right there, folks. And he's right there with his arms open wide for you. And he's waiting for you. And you've got this area in your life. And you're not going to give it up. You're, not, you're holding it back from him. And your life as a Christ follower is, eh, is not very powerful. It's not very meaningful. It's not very authentic. You're just kind of floating around. It's because Jesus is calling you to a more radical surrender to him. And maybe there are those of you and you know you're, you're on the total other side of the line. And you say, I am not a Christ follower at all, but I have come to the end of my, of my rope, as it were. And I realize that I need to surrender myself to the mercy of God as he extends it to me. Wherever you are on the map of, of your spiritual life, I just want you to take a moment and maybe you want to close your eyes and contemplate it a little bit and do a little bit of a litmus check as a test as to where you are. And if you feel like, you know, something has to change in my own heart and in my own life and I need to respond to the invitation of Jesus this time of his visitation toward me I just want you to do something really simple and just to raise your hands up in the air every eye is closed it's a private moment for you I'm not going to call you to the front at all I just want you to raise your hands in a sort of an act of surrender you know they were raising their hands on Palm Sunday not in surrender but in a in a desire for triumph but today I want you to raise them in surrender and say God I just I just uh, uh, deposit my life before you and surrender it to you maybe there are young people here today and God is calling you to a radical surrender to him he wants you to be different than the way that you are. He wants you to walk differently. He wants you to behave differently. He wants you to give up certain things and certain behaviors and certain 
things that are starting to mess around and wreck your life. And, and Jesus is saying to you, young person, you need to give that up and you need to trust me and surrender to me. Maybe there's, there's other people in the room and your, your walk with God has gotten cold because of circumstances that have hurt you and that have pulverized your faith and you need to freshly surrender to him. Just raise your hands, God. We ask for your mercy and we ask for your grace and we ask, Lord, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit. We need the touch of God in our lives. We need to recognize the time of your visitation and, Lord, may you be first in our lives. Help us, Lord, even this Easter Easter 2023 to grow closer to you and surrender in a deeper fashion to you and to be obedient to the things that you are calling us to today. We pray to that end in Jesus' name and everyone said amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day this Palm Sunday, as we call it, and if those cards uh, of condolence you want to sign, please make sure that you do that. Friday night, we will be over at Le Studio over on uh, Tashero Boulevard at 7 p.m. Please feel free to join us as we answer that question, why, why was Jesus executed that day 2,000 years ago? God bless you, everyone. My heart I laid before you 
depths of love divine So feast on infinite your glory That I am yours and you are mine By the cross of Jesus Christ Every sin was bought at the highest price Every fear was lost, every sin erased When Jesus took the cross, He took my place Then sings my soul, then cries my heart Till kingdom come Till heaven's part, till he returns or calls me home, I'll praise the name of Christ alone. Then sings my soul, then cries my heart, till kingdom come, till heaven's part. Till he returns or calls me home, I'll praise the name of Christ alone. I'll praise the name of Christ alone. Verse 1. soul has waited for you bound by sin and nature's night but in the secret I will find you a mighty ray of holy Good job, guys.